Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here with you. I got to meet a lot of you before the service who are guests here. I know some of you are here with friends and family or maybe on your own. Thanks for coming. My name's Steve, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at First Lutheran, and it's just really great to celebrate Christmas with you and like a thousand other people in this room that wasn't built for that, right? So thanks for coming out. Uh, I'm going to share something with you here that'll probably surprise anybody who knows me very well, since nowadays I'm pretty much allergic to like decorating almost anything at all. Uh, in fact, in my house, my job for decorating Christmas is I get the tree into the house, stand it up, and just back away. Just get out of the way. And I didn't even do a very good job at that this year because about a week ago, I had been in bed for a little while when Amy, my wife, elbows me and says, there's a noise. So I get up and I go downstairs and there's our tree lying in the middle of the living room floor, <laughs> which was my favorite thing to do in the middle of the night. That was great. So that's how good I am at this. So this will surprise anyone who knows me well. But when I was a kid, I really loved snow globes. You know, anybody else, like, are you a fan of snow globes? Do you like them? Just as silly as I am, aren't you? Like, what's up with that? But I just love these snow globes. And I remember when I was a kid, I remember where in my parents' house there was always a snow globe there. In fact, my parents just finally sold the house that I grew up in many years later, and they moved out before they handed over the keys. I took my family now back there. We were in town, and we took some pictures of the old backyard and, you know, the old front yard and, and my old bedroom. And there's one picture of the living room that has a little bit of a picture where the shelves are, where the snow globe used to be. I brought it along for you. See those little built-in shelves way over there on the left side. That's where the snow globe always was. And I remember I'd go over there and I'd like pick up that snow globe and it was one of those cheap little ones. They make some fancy ones now with different fluids inside but once once you'd, you'd shake it up and the snow would all fly right and then it would look just beautiful inside. It'd be just perfect. All the snow's going around. It was a perfect Christmas scene because I'm not from Minnesota. That's Cleveland, Ohio. But in Cleveland, Ohio we knew about winter and lake effect snow and all that. So we knew the, the, the way you had a right Christmas was to have a white Christmas, right? Which we're not doing so good this year, are we? But I knew that's how it's supposed to look. So I'd shake it up and it would be all just beautiful and perfect. And that would last for like one second, right? And it all comes falling back down again. So I'd shake it up again and it all fall down again. I'd shake it up again and it all fall back down again. I was a stubborn little kid. But gravity is a really stubborn force to fight with, right? No matter how much you shake it up, it just falls right back down again. And I was thinking about this one time recently and I was thinking, that's actually not that different from how we experience Christmas kind of in general, right? I mean, we love the good part of Christmas where we get everything to look just like it should and sometimes it takes a lot of shaking, doesn't it? To try to make Christmas feel like you thought Christmas was supposed to feel. But then pretty soon, it just all comes crashing back down again. Like there's some force of gravity that just does this to us, you know? I mean, it could be like real snowfall, like the desire for a white Christmas. If there's forecast, we might get some tomorrow. Not sure yet. But I love it when we get a white Christmas. I, I love, don't you love when those, those big flakes, the big fluffy flakes, they come floating down and it's like slow in the air. It just kind of floats down and it lands. And once you get just a, like an inch on the ground or a few inches, everything in the world just gets quieter, doesn't it? It's like everything is just calm and peaceful. And it's like you just shook it up just right. You finally got it. And then if you're anything like me, tomorrow you got to shovel it off the driveway. And by the next evening, it's a big brown black pile in the parking lot at the mall, right? It just won't last. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's more invested in getting things right on the inside of the house and you get stuff all decorated just so and, and Christmas looks the way that it's supposed to and maybe you've got like Christmas candles that are lit or you'd like to play some Christmas music in the background and, 
Uh, there are certain dishes that you like to prepare for Christmas, those, those tastes and smells and sounds and sights. That's Christmas. And people come over to enjoy the beautiful house and meal that you put together. And it's just a great Christmas party. And everybody stays for a couple hours and then they leave. And then your whole house is dirty dishes and dog hair. <laughs> or maybe that's just our dog. Maybe I don't know about you, but it is for us. Or you get the kids the perfect presents, right? There's the stuff they were asking for or the stuff they didn't even know they wanted. This was better than what they were asking for. And they unwrap the presents and they see what's in there and the little jaws are dropping and the voices are squealing and the arms are hugging and the feet are jumping up and down and you're the best mom or dad or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa in the whole wide world, right? You got it just right. And then in a couple of days, they can't even find the remote control anymore. And on the third day, you make them go to bed on time. And your Nobel Prize in awesomeness has been rescinded, right? It just won't last. Or maybe you, you get the family over for Christmas, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? The whole family should be together. On Christmas, and the brothers-in-law, and the sisters-in-law, and the aunts, and the uncles, and the cousins, and when everybody comes together, it, it felt like it was starting off pretty well, and the the conversations were cordial and the exchanges were civil and you were thinking, maybe this is the year that we're finally past that thing that happened back then. And then dessert is served and the evening goes on and you are so not past that thing that you thought you were. Right, it just won't stay that way. At Christmas, it doesn't even have to be at Christmas, right? It could be almost any time. New Year's resolutions are coming up. You're gonna exercise more regularly. You're gonna get more fit. You're gonna eat better and write letters and stay in touch with old friends and read books and, until January 10th or something, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like we get it all shook up just right in our lives, but it's like there's this force of gravity or something that just pulls stuff back down again. And at some point you ask yourself, like, am I missing something here? Is that, is that the way it has to be? Is that the way it's supposed to be? Or couldn't there be something that would make the change in my life that I see once in a while? Like, it seems like things could go better. Isn't there something that could make that last for a while? And couldn't that be what Christmas is for? The birth of Jesus, it's supposed to be the start of a story, right? Not the end of a story. I wanna tell you that's exactly what Christmas is about. That's exactly the power that God can work in our lives through Christmas. And I want to tell you about how that works. I, I noticed something, actually, this year. I've read the Christmas story a bunch of times, believe it or not. And I noticed something in the Christmas story this year that I had never really seen before. And it's right there at the very beginning of the story. One of the Gospels in the Bible, it's the, the life stories of Jesus are called Gospels, and the first one of them is called Matthew. And Matthew wrote down his life story of Jesus. And right before the actual story of Jesus' birth is the story of Jesus' genealogy, okay? That's like all the begats, so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and like nobody ever reads that part, right? But right before that, the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter one, verse one, and this is what it says there. It says, this is the genesis of Jesus. Except, if you've ever heard the whole story before, that's not how most translations have it. They say this is the genealogy of Jesus, which really makes a lot of sense, and it, it's what comes next. I think that's really true, but 
it just so happens that that's the same word as the title of the very first book in the Bible, which very famously starts with the story of the beginning of the world. And Matthew knew that book. He quoted from it all the time when he was telling his story of Jesus. All his readers, they knew that book. It's like Matthew was doing this little author thing, that he was hinting that this story that he was writing about Jesus wasn't just a story of one guy, but it was the start of a new world. It was like re-Genesis. It was like a do-over, a cosmic do-over for the whole world. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, am I making that up? You know, like, did you, like in your high school English classes, and your teacher ever said, this is symbolism for that, and this is foreshadowing of that. And you're like, no, it's not. So I was, I was wondering, am I just, am I stretching that too far? But then I remembered that the Gospel of John, the fourth of those life stories of Jesus in the Bible, starts exactly the same way. Just like the book of Genesis famously starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Gospel of John starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and John is this very artistic kind of author. And there they are, both of them together, telling their life stories of Jesus, signaling to us, telling us, this isn't just the biography of some dude who lived 2,000 years ago, or for them it was like 30 years ago and they had actually known him personally. This isn't just some like miraculous birth story that we're about to hear, but this is the story of a start for the new world, of a new world coming in Jesus as if there were perhaps a hope for good change that would last, like hope that would be stronger than gravity. Now, I think it's important to know that these people who said that about Jesus, that this is what Jesus means in our lives, this baby who was born on Christmas, I think it's important for us to know that they were not naive about the force of gravity in their life. They knew what this was like, and it features very prominently in the Christmas story itself. And in the Christmas story, the force of gravity has a name, and his name is Herod. Herod the Great King of the Jews. Herod the Great. Could I just ask you something quick for a second? Could you imagine what it would be like to go through life if your last name was The Great? I mean, it'd be kind of an ego trip, wouldn't it? Like everywhere you go, ooh, Tom the Great, it is so great to see you again. You're just like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, it is. There goes Lisa the Magnificent. She is really something, right? You imagine that? When I finished When I finished grad school, I teased my wife, Amy. I was like, Amy, you know, if you want to, you could call me doctor now. And my lovely wife, Amy, who who herself has an advanced degree, without missing a beat, said she'd be happy to do that as soon as I started calling her master. (laughs) (laughs) So we never even started that game, really. Herod the Great, King of the Jews. The first place we meet Herod the Great in the Christmas story, he's receiving company. He's receiving mysterious guests who are called magi. In the Christmas story, sometimes we call them the three wise men or like we three kings. They're really mysterious. We don't know a ton about them. They probably came from the land of Persia, way off in the east, which is modern day Iran. And they were like astrologers or priests or maybe royalty of some kind, but they had seen something happen in the night sky. They had seen a star or a comet or something and they would not even have known what those things are. They just knew there was a light in the night sky and they interpreted that that probably means that something significant is happening on earth and we want to go in the direction of that light and find out what it was. And so they go in the direction uh, toward Israel. 
and they wind up in this capital city of Jerusalem. And this tells us that these are pretty special people because they thought they should go to the palace of Herod the Great, king of the Jews. And they wanna find out what's going on. So they go to the palace of Herod the Great, king of the Jews, and they have the uh, audacity to say, hey, we're here to find the one who's been born as the new king of the Jews. <laughs> that was probably awkward for Herod and maybe even more so for the Magi once they figured out what was going on. But Herod is a clever guy. Herod did not get to become and stay king over all Judea for like 40 years by being anybody's dummy. Herod is clever. So Herod says to the Magi, oh, hey, king of the Jews, okay, that, that's cool, all right. Uh, you guys should go and make a careful search for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and off him, honor him too. So the Magi are like, okay, we'll go search for him. They look up in the records, they find out that it's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem, which is really just like down the hill from Jerusalem. It's almost like a Jerusalem suburb even still today. So they go out to Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby and they give them they, these expensive gifts that they brought all the way from Iran, all the way from Persia, gold and frankincense and myrrh and this amazing little baby shower there in the stable. I imagine Mary going to Joseph like, what am I gonna do with all this myrrh, you know? Joseph's probably like, I don't know, what's burr? <laughs> but the Magi, they find out what Herod is up to. God warns them in a dream what Herod is up to. So they give Herod the slip and they go back to their home. They go back to their country by another way. But Herod has ears everywhere, right? So he finds out that they have left and not told him where they were. So Herod doesn't know where Jesus is, but he does not want Jesus to grow up and become king of the Jews because he is king of the Jews. And so Herod decides, if I can't tell which one is Jesus, I will send my soldiers out and I'll kill all the children in the area. Nobody ever said he was Herod the Good. They said he was Herod the Great. So at the beginning of this story, right, you've got both hope and you've got gravity. And playing the role of hope for a new world, for change that will be rolled out and make a difference and last, playing the role of hope, you have Jesus, the newborn baby. And playing the role of gravity that tears everything back down again, you have Herod the Great, King of the Jews. Now just be honest with yourself for a second. You don't have to answer out loud, but just think for a second. If you were alive right then and you knew what was happening, but you didn't know what happened after that, you didn't know the whole story and everything that we know now, who would you have bet on? Jesus, the newborn baby, who's basically got nothing and can't walk or talk and doesn't have a family house to live in, he's in a stable when he was born, or Herod the Great, king of the Jews, commander of armies. I mean, you would bet on Herod the Great because he has all the power, he has all the chips, he has all the cards, and even if that weren't true, you have experience. You know that gravity keeps pulling stuff down again. You'd bet on Herod the Great. But then fast forward the story a little while, fast forward the story a couple decades, and people are starting to realize that Jesus, the newborn baby, is actually Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. And by this point, it's become clear to everybody that Herod the Great is really just Herod the dead at this point. Maybe it's possible. Maybe it's possible that hope is stronger than gravity. And Jesus didn't stay in that manger, right? He grew up. He, began, he became an adult, and he began to carry out the work that God had sent him into the world to do. And as he did, one day at a time, one person at a time, one encounter at a time, he began to unroll 
He began to unfold, to unfurl this new world that God had brought just the genesis of, just the beginning. It was like God planted the seed when Jesus was born and it began to sprout and grow and unfold in all of Jesus' life and his encounters. And so Jesus in his adult life, we can read the stories about him. He would encounter people who were racked with guilt. They knew what they had done. They knew where they had been. I mean, this is not that different from you and me. We know what we have done. We know who we have been. We know where we have been. And God sent Jesus into the world to be his own presence in the world so that people would know that God knows, right? God doesn't just love you because he doesn't know what happened. But God knows, and he loves you anyway. Jesus brought this incredible power of grace and forgiveness, mercy to people, and told them that God loved them as they were who they were. And then he met people who not only knew that they had done bad stuff in, the ba- in, the, in their past, but they figured they were just bad people. They were just broken, messed up failures. And everybody had told them that was true. They had put labels on them. They said, you're sinner, tax collector, loser, whore, unworthy of God. These were Jesus' best friends. And Jesus taught them that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. That's not your identity. You don't live under that anymore. Here, let me give you a new name. How about this one? Try this on. Child of God. How about you belong in the family of God? Jesus, who was the only begotten son of God, said, you come with me. We're brothers and sisters now. And if you're my brother and sister, then you too are a child of God. Jesus began to create lasting change. He was introducing a new world by God's own authority right in the midst of this world. And Jesus met people who were in all kinds of pain. They were broken and sick and hurting in body and soul. And Jesus brought healing to them, body and soul. Jesus met people who were alone, right? Lonely, rejected, didn't have their community, family, had left them behind. Jesus said to them, powerful words, come over for dinner. Come sit down at my table. You belong in my people. One of my favorite little passages from Jesus' life, it's just this little thing, but Jesus is gathered together with his followers, the people who are learning life from him. And he said to them at one point, now I no longer call you servants. You've been serving me. I've been your teacher. You recognize God in me, but I'm not gonna call you servants any longer. Now I have called you friends. You're welcome in my people. You're welcome in the people of God. And then it got to almost the very end of Jesus' life on this earth and his enemies came for him in a dark garden one night where he was praying and they came out with swords and clubs and violence to come and get him. Our world is racked with violence today. We read about it in the news all the time. There was another shooting in St. Louis today. Come on now. But this is not new. That was, they came out for Jesus the same way. They came out and one of Jesus' followers drew his sword. It was Peter. He drew a sword to defend Jesus. Not even sure where he got it, but he had it. And Jesus, I could just see him putting his hand on Peter's shoulder and going, "Mm mm-mm, that's not how we do it in my way. Just put your sword away. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. And he taught his people that God was unrolling a new world, step-by-step change that would last. Jesus taught them to trust that the peace of God was more powerful than any other force in this world. And then those enemies who came and now got past Peter and his sword, not that Peter was gonna stop them anyway, they got to Jesus, they arrested him, they tried him, they beat him, they killed him, they laid him in a tomb, and three days later he got up and walked out of that tomb. Jesus was showing us that hope is stronger than the power of gravity. Jesus was introducing his disciples to a zero gravity environment where the power of God is stronger than the power that destroys stuff. I mean, it was as if God were saying in the life and work of Jesus, as if God were saying, I know, 
I get it. I know how stuff falls down. I see. I know all about your world. But hey, check this out. Welcome to my world. Come live here. Come be welcome to my grace. Come be my child. Come be a part of my family. Welcome to my world. But then, what, where does that leave us? Because we're not actually all the way in eternity where all these problems have been solved yet. God's gonna bring that totally one day. But we're not there yet. We're still in this place where we're actually still kind of maybe closer to Christmas than to eternity. We're in the place where, where God is rolling out his world in Jesus step by step, one person at a time. You, 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 me, one piece at a time. But we're not all the way at the end yet. We still feel gravity pulling down on us just as Jesus did in the midst of his life. So how do we respond to this? How do we receive this hope in such a way that it creates lasting hope in us and our community and our families and our world? Well, I actually think the Christmas story gives us two great examples to kind of relate to that ourselves. Have you ever noticed or have you ever heard how differently Mary and Joseph, the two parents of Jesus, how differently they responded to God's work in their lives? Like Mary, when Mary hears from a messenger from God, from the angel Gabriel, that she's gonna be the mother of God's savior. God's gonna do his saving work for the world in and through her. She offers this eloquent response. She says, let your word to me be fulfilled. That's kind of beautiful. God, what you have said, let that happen to me. And Mary was really good with words. And then the gospel writer Luke, who wrote this stuff down, he said Mary actually sang a song after that. And in her song, she echoed words that she knew from the Bible, from the Old Testament. Songs that were sung by women in Old Testament times when they witnessed to God's work in their lives. And she sang that. Mary was good with words. I, I wonder if she were alive today, what she might have said in our words. If, if she might have said, God, if that's what you're gonna do in me, you're gonna change this stuff and it's not gonna get torn down again? Then I'll tell you what, count me in. Sign me up. God, here's the wheel. You take the wheel, you drive. Because every time I drive my life, I keep running off into the ditch. It keeps on pulling me down. But God, welcome to my world. God, welcome to my world. You, just, you take it from here. I want to go. You drive because I want to go wherever you're going. That's a beautiful response. And Mary's words have been immortalized in the pages of scripture and in songs and art for 2,000 years. And as amazing and perfect as Mary's response is, I like Joseph's response every bit as much. Some days I find myself probably even more drawn to it. Have you ever heard that Joseph has absolutely no speaking parts in the whole story? Like Joseph never said a word, or at least not a word anybody thought was worth writing down. He has no lines. If you ever are, if you're a kid or you ever had a kid who wanted to be in a Christmas pageant but didn't want to learn any lines, <laughs> line up to be Joseph, all right? But Joseph hears from God too. God sends a messenger, an angel, to Joseph three times. I would settle for once in a lifetime, wouldn't you? But here in this incident, God sends a messenger to Joseph three times, and all three times, Joseph does exactly the same thing. He receives this messenger in a dream, and in the morning, he wakes up and does exactly what God directed him to do. He didn't really talk about it very much, apparently, but he did it. The first time, he got up and he got married to the pregnant girl to whom he was engaged, which was not exactly his plan. Joseph was a stand-up guy, but when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he didn't want to get her in trouble. He was going to set her aside quietly, not expose her to public disgrace, but God said, no, you should marry her. And so he got up, and he went to Mary, and he married her. 
And the second time God sent an angel to Joseph in a dream, he got up, took his new wife and newborn child, and took them from Israel to Egypt, to this faraway foreign country, to escape the rage of deadly King Herod, who was coming for all the babies around Bethlehem. And then sometime later, he gets another messenger from God and he gets up in the morning and he and Mary and probably young toddler Jesus or something, they move back to Israel because God revealed to him that Herod the dead had finally died and it was safe to come back now. It was as if Joseph wordlessly, Joseph by his actions said, God, welcome to my world. Here, you take the wheel, you drive. Because wherever you're going, I want to go there. Every time I take the wheel, when I drive, it seems like sooner or later I wind up in a ditch over here. Gravity pulls me down. But I want where you're going, God. And for Joseph, every one of those days, every time he responded and Mary the same way in her words, it became the first day of the rest of their lives. And I don't know about all of you. I don't know whether you are good with words or whether you're more the strong, silent type. I don't know whether you feel like you're wired up more like an introvert or more like an extrovert. If you think of yourself as a singer of songs like Mary or more like a behind the scenes quiet mover like Joseph. But I know that all of us need the hope that Jesus brought. I know that all of us have steep hills that we climb. I know that all of us are in pain in our relationships, that all of us need hope for lasting change, that all of us are walking into a headwind somewhere, and we're going, do I have to keep shaking this thing up all the time just to watch it fall back down again, or could there be change that would last for me? And that's exactly what God came into the world in Jesus to do, was to begin to unfold that new world that will not be rolled back. And some of you know what this is like in your life. You've, you've said yes to the work of God in Jesus in you. You've said, God, welcome to my world. Here, you drive. I want where you're going more than I want where I was gonna drive off into the ditch for. And if that's you, man, Christmas is a great encouragement. It's a great time to be reminded that the ideas of Christianity aren't some pious religious wish, but they're something that God did in the world that we live in. And we're reminded that God has shined the light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You can be reminded by the Christmas story that he that is in you is more powerful than him that is in the world. And the Christmas story I hope will be for you again this year a tremendous encouragement, a lifting of your spirits and a lifting of your joy to climb up the hills that are in front of you because the power of God is in you. But I also know there's a lot of us here today and some of you probably haven't ever taken that step or maybe never had the chance to take that step. And maybe for some of you, you're ready for this Christmas to be the first day of the rest of your lives. You're ready for hope that that goes on, that doesn't get sucked back down by the power of gravity again. And you're ready to say, God, welcome to my world. Here, you take the wheel. You drive, because I want to go where you're going. Because I need an experience of grace in my life. Because I need to know that I am known and loved anyway. Because I need to know that the labels that people have placed on me, that have said that I'm just bad and broken inside and I'm just a failure, I need to know that's not true. I would like to be called child of God for Jesus' sake. So God, welcome to my world. Maybe you're ready to say, I'm ready to live my life with eternal impact, with purpose in what I do and in my relationships, to live with grace and in the power of God. So God, welcome to my world. And if that's you today, I'm thrilled for you. I celebrate with you and welcome to the family of God. Whoever you are today, just let me remind you of the hope that comes in Jesus Christ.
Now, wherever you are in your journey, if you'd like someone to pray with you for the next steps in your life, Christmas can be a time when God moves powerfully in us. Some of our staff people and pastors will be up here kind of near the platform after the service today. And no obligation and no manipulation. If you'd just like someone to pray for you or maybe help you think about some next steps to take in your life, we'll be up here and be very happy to help you with that. Please know that God has brought Jesus into the world not to leave things just as they were, but to give us the hope that overcomes gravity, to give us hope for today and hope for all eternity. Let me pray for you. Good and gracious God, welcome to our world. We give you the wheel. We say drive in our life because we wanna go where you're going. Thank you for coming into our lives with your grace. Thank you for giving us the name as your child. Thank you for coming into our lives to create healing and change and new hope, hope that will last. God, we give you our lives. Say, come into our hearts, come into our lives, come into our families and our communities. God, create in us what we could not do ourselves. Jesus, welcome to our world. Amen.